0: Turn with me this morning, if you would, to uh, Luke 19. We'll be looking at several verses probably this morning, if the Lord wills. Luke chapter 19 is where we'll begin this morning. It's kind of where my thoughts started this morning, at least. Luke 19 and verse 10. I want to start reading in uh, verse 9. This is found in the account where Jesus went to visit uh, Zacchaeus. everybody know who Zacchaeus is? He is a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. <coughs> uh, this is in the account where Jesus had went to the house of Zacchaeus. And uh, it says in verse nine, Jesus said unto him, this day salvation come to this house for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. Now, again, remember, when Jesus says that he is a son of Abraham, he's not saying that he's a son of Abraham in the flesh. Salvation didn't come to Zacchaeus because he was a son of Abraham in the flesh, even though he was a son of Abraham in the flesh, he was a Israelite, child of Israel, child of Jacob. He uh came from Abraham uh fleshly his seed. But Jesus here is speaking in spiritual terms and we always have to kind of remember that we need to look past the physical and see what the spirit is teaching us in the spiritual, if you be so kind to teach us. We're looking here at the spiritual son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was a spiritual son of Abraham. And if you remember the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus was going to look to see because he heard Jesus was coming through and he went to see and couldn't see, climbed up in that tree and to get a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus came there specifically and out of all the people that was there spied out Zacchaeus, come now I'm going to your house today Jesus went there by divine appointment it wasn't just accident that Zacchaeus happened to climb up in that tree it wasn't by accident or chance that Jesus happened to be walking by when Zacchaeus was climbing a tree it was a predestinated time the Lord came by exactly as was purposed by God and he came by because Zacchaeus was a son of Abraham And being a son of Abraham, Jesus came to him to preach to him the gospel so that that son of Abraham could be delivered from false thinking to correct thinking about Christ. He was come so that he might deliver this son of Abraham from being lost to being found. Look at the next verse. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to save that which was lost. Now that's a phrase that we use a lot. And that's the phrase that I kind of was pondering on this morning. As I was getting ready. That kind of stuck in my head. That obviously by God's divine appointment he put there. Because this is not anything that he had. Brought to my mind this week, we often use the term, uh, we need to go preach to the lost. We need to go out and evangelize the lost. I grew up saying that phrase, you know, uh, that person's just lost. You know, they're not saved, they're lost. Uh, We use those terms to try to differentiate. Um, the difference between a person who has been saved and a person who has not been saved. Someone who has uh, accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and allowed Jesus to come into their heart and now is serving and working for Jesus versus the person who's still out there living under their own dictates, wanting to do their own thing, not even having anything to do with Jesus. That's That was the mentality. That was what I was preaching. That's the difference. The lost and the saved. They were two different people. And everybody is lost until you are saved. And then once you are saved, you are not lost. But is that what the Bible teaches? Is that how the Bible teaches us about saved and lost? Um, Is that what the Bible teaches us about who is the lost? Um. Matter of fact, I will say that the Bible is very clear and I hope to maybe bring that out today if the Lord gives me ability. I would say that the only ones that are lost are the ones who are saved. The ones that are lost are the ones that are saved. And I mean that by the fact that to be saved is not a timely thing in which men, at the moment of their birthing, as some would say, are saved. Or the minute that they believe in Jesus, they're now saved. Uh, or the fact that um, they now have changed from uh, free will thinking, free choice thinking, uh, Arminianism to believing sovereign grace. Now they're saved. Now, in a temporal sense, I would guess that would be being saved from wrong thinking. God has, at that point in time, granted them repentance and thus saved them from continuing in error about the gospel and the work and salvation of Jesus Christ. So in that sense, I would say, yes, that would be a salvation But whenever we are talking about in terms of the legal salvation, the uh, justification before God, why men are saved, why men are uh, not uh, under God's wrath, why men are not going to be uh, cast into hell, why men are counted as just before God, is not by anything that they do in time. That is accomplished by them. So therefore, whenever we speak of the difference between the lost and the saved, we cannot separate the two because the lost and the saved in Scripture are the same people. Those who are saved were the lost sons of Abraham, the lost sheep of Christ who were found. To be saved means to be no longer lost. Jesus saved us by his death. He says right here, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. We are his sheep that was lost. We were lost into sin and death. We were lost in Adam. Yet in Christ we have been found. Jesus said here, for the Son of Man is come, the purpose of Christ, the reason Jesus came is to seek and to save that which was lost. Now brethren, I'm telling you, whenever Jesus makes a statement like that, whenever God in flesh makes a statement that says the purpose for me coming, the reason that I am here is to seek and to save that which was lost, we can be assured by the Holy Spirit of God and the words of Scripture which are not lies, we can be assured that Jesus accomplished everything that He was sent and was given to do. He said, I have come, I am come, or excuse me, the Son of Man is come, the purpose of me being here, the reason that I have taken on flesh, the reason I have been made likened unto my brethren is so that for my brethren, I might seek and save them which are lost. My brethren, my sheep, the ones who have been entrusted to me, the ones who I am a surety for. Remember again, that illustration has kind of came up quite a bit here lately. The, the, uh, uh whenever uh, Benjamin was to be taken to Joseph and his brother said, I will be a surety for him. If I do not go and bring him back, then let his blood be on my, be my fault. Let it be, let me be the one to blame. That's the purpose of the surety. The surety was to go and to stand instead and to make sure that the person who was being charged with the crimes, that they show up back in front of the judge. Well, Brethren, we are showing back up in front of the judge and we're not being brought back to the judge under condemnation. We were lost, but now we are found. We are being brought back by our surety. He has come to seek and save and he will be successful. So, my question is, is who is the lost and will there be any lost in hell? We talked about that all the lost is going to be cast into hell. That's what I used to preach. But will there be any lost in hell? Not in the sense of this biblical term here that Jesus is using to save them which was lost. Because if Jesus came to seek seek them which were lost, then there will be no lost in hell say well what about all the people that will be in hell what do you consider them to be well they were never his to begin with see the reason that we are lost if we are his is because we have always been his we were given to him before the foundation of the world all that was the fathers was given to Christ and all that is Christ he says, I will come and seek and to save them. I will return them. They will not be lost forever. So will there be any lost in heaven? No, because Christ has come to seek and save them. He said in Second Peter, I will that none should perish, but that all come to repentance. He's, that verse isn't talking about everybody in the world. That verse is specifically talking about the brethren... That is in the context of that verse. The brethren. He said, I will have you brethren that you not be ignorant of these very things that a day day is like a thousand years a thousand years like a day that God is not slack that Christ is going to be coming back. He is not willing that any should perish but that all come to repentance. Why is it that Jesus hasn't come back and the eternal state and judgment taken place? Because not all has come to repentance. He is still bringing his sheep that are lost. He's still finding them. He's bringing them together. The harvest is coming in. The harvest is being brought in. And all of those who are being brought in, whenever they have been brought in, then that time will be up. All have come to repentance. Zacchaeus was one of these who was lost. And Christ came and found him. And if you know the story, uh, he was brought in, he was harvested, he was found. <clears throat> now, let's look at a few other verses in the scripture and see, is this the truth of the scripture though? Or is this just the harebrained scheme of a crummy preacher that uh, is uneducated and don't know how to speak correctly? Let's look in John chapter six. Let's go there first. I've jotted down a few scriptures that came to my mind this morning in this sub- in thinking about this subject and I don't know if all these will be in order or not as far as you know a nice cohesive, thought out outline of scriptures, but it's the scriptures nonetheless and we'll just go as the spirit leads us on this. But John chapter 6 came to my mind at first. And I already kind of quoted some of this, but let's look at these familiar verses. Started in verse uh, 37. This is in Jesus' great discourse on the bread, which is from heaven, which we spoke about just recently. But look at verse 37. It says, All that the Father giveth me... Shall come to me, and him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Now, how many is going to be cast out? None, right? Why? Because he just said all that the Father giveth him. Now, you remember a few weeks ago we talked about uh, we talked about a quantifier. You remember me talking about a quantifier? What was a quantifier? Y'all remember? I've slept since then. I've had lack of sleep since then. Quantifier is something that um, differentiates a group of people, okay? Or, or a certain number, okay? So if I said, uh, all that was here this morning sang a hymn. Now, whenever I use that word all, does that mean everybody in the world? No. What's the quantifier? Those that were here. That quantifies the all. So now all doesn't have the meaning of everybody that exists, but the word all is now defined with all within the group that was gathered here together in context of the one singing the hymns, right? That's a quantifier. So whenever Jesus is speaking about the ones who are not going to be cast out, the ones who are going to be saved, The ones who are going to be drawn and raised up at the last day. That word all here, the quantifier is that the Father giveth me. Those are the only ones. Nobody else. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Who's going to come to Jesus Christ? All that the Father giveth me. That's the quantifier. That's how we know the success of the gospel. When Jesus said I have come to seek and to save that which was lost not only do we know that to be true because Jesus said it and he's God and cannot lie but we also know that Jesus has also said that all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. We know that they are coming. We don't have to worry about people being out there somewhere scattered in the four corners or you know through the four corners of the world and Somebody not hearing the gospel and missing heaven because somebody didn't speak the gospel to them. Somebody didn't preach the gospel to them. Somebody didn't get a Bible into their hands. Somebody didn't get an evangelist to come and preach a revival. Now, not one is going to be lost. Not one is going to be lost because the one who said, I have come to seek and to save is the one who is out looking for them. It's not the evangelist out looking for them. It's not the preacher out looking for them. It's not the missionary boards. It's not the seminaries. It's not the schools of thought, uh, of theology that's out there. That is not who is seeking and saving that which is lost. The one who is seeking and saving that which is lost is the Lord Jesus Christ. They're his sheep, and he is the one that is responsible for them. If the Bible speaks anything of responsibility and accountability, it speaks of it in the person of Jesus Christ. We talked about being accountable and responsible. Brethren, listen, the sovereign God of this universe, of any universe, if there be any other universes, this is the only one that we actually know of according to Scripture, but if there be any other universes, he's the God of that too. And that God has predestinated everything. And that God has set one above all others, the Lord Jesus. And that that person, that man, is in control of all life. He is in control of everything. Nothing is happening apart from Him. The Bible says that everything in this world, by Him, it consists or is held together. Jesus is the one in control. He's the one that is doing everything, controlling everything, bringing about all the purpose of God. I think back again, and I may be wrong in this uh, 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 symbolism, uh, but that's how the Lord's given me to think on it at least as of now, unless corrected. But whenever Jesus was the Lamb seated upon the throne in Revelation and He was given a scroll and that scroll was given with all those seals and He was the only one worthy to open that, That was the very purpose and predestination of God that was from the beginning. That the Bible says that all known unto God are all His works. The end from the beginning was all contained in that scroll. The full purpose of God was in that scroll. And Jesus Christ was the only one worthy to open it up and to bring forth and bring to fruition and to cause by providence everything that was found in that scroll. He is the one fulfilling all of the things. That's why the Bible says all the promises of God are yea and amen in Christ Jesus. It's because it's His accountability. It's His responsibility. If there is any accountability and responsibility when it comes to the child of grace, it is placed upon their substitute. He is the one who is accountable for us. He is the one who was sent to seek and to save that which is lost. If there is any responsibility For the child of grace, that responsibility lies upon his substitute. Jesus is the one who is responsible to pay for our sins and to also be the one to preserve us in this life. He is the one who is to work in us to will and to do his good pleasure. So we are being given faith to trust in him, not only for his substitutionary work for us, but his ever interceding for us on our behalf. He has come to save fully to the utmost, the Bible says, those who are lost. He came to do that for us. Jesus Christ is the one who has the accountability, the responsibility, and the children of God has given faith to trust that He is accomplishing everything that He was sent to do. And He says here... All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I shall lose nothing. So will there be any lost in hell? No, because Jesus came down to do the will of the Father. This makes me think of, um, well, and look, while we're there, not to overlook this, but look, but should raise it up at the last day, all that was given to the Father will be raised up at the last day. They will experience the resurrection. They will experience that day whenever this mortal flesh will be put down. And if it's already been dead and in the ground, that there will be a time whenever that will be raised up, which is His, and be given an eternal body, a spiritual body, one like their Savior, one like Christ. But it will be raised up. <coughs> he says... <clears throat> And this is the will of Him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. There's not going to be one found in hell, brethren. They're all going to be saved. The lost is those who are Christ, and those who are Christ that are lost will be, (coughs) excuse me, found. Turn with me, if you would, to uh, John chapter, uh, uh, excuse me, Matthew chapter 10. Some will probably say, well, preacher, I thought we were supposed to go into all the world and preach the gospel to everybody. I thought that, you know... Jesus has called all men to repentance. Again, this word all has to be kept in context to what the Bible speaks. The quantifier determines what the all means, right? Repentance is only given to his people. Repentance isn't given to everybody. Repentance isn't something that we can do on our own. It isn't something that we work up in our own spirit. It isn't something that we do by our own mental uh, faculties. Repentance is granted. The Bible says that God has granted unto them repentance. That repentance is a work of God. The Bible says it is the work of God that you believe. If we quit believing in our self-righteousness and believe upon Christ and His righteousness, that belief wasn't something that we just changed from our desire to look at this, and then now we're going to believe on this, it wasn't something that we did in and of ourselves. It was something that was given to us. It was the work of God. All the works of God that are done in us are done by God, not by us. Our flesh doesn't do anything good. Therefore, if we are believing, if we are His, if we are the ones who have have uh, um, believed on Him, we have done so, Because we are his sheep. So people don't just repent of their own. They repent because they've been granted repentance. They've been given repentance. They've been given that because they've been given life by Christ. And due to that life, they now can hear the gospel. They can believe the gospel. And they can turn from false gospels. That's all by the work of God in them. Look at Matthew chapter 10. As I begin to say a minute ago, we say, well, aren't we supposed to go out and preach this to everybody? God's called everybody to repentance and that we're to be evangelizing all these people out there and everything. Well, let's look what Jesus said here in Matthew 10 whenever He sent out the twelve. In verse uh, 5 it says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying... Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not. The reason for that is because the time of the gospel was not to be taken to the Gentiles. Not that the Gentiles were not included in uh, Christ's redemptive work. The Gentiles were uh, in the uh, redemptive work of Christ. The Bible says that he is a people out of every language, nation, tribe, and tongue. It's not just Jew or Gentile, that in Christ Jesus there is no Jew nor Gentile. There were one in Christ Jesus. However, in the dispensation of the gospel, in the in the in the proceeding of the gospel to go forth, the Bible says that it was first in Jerusalem, then Judea, then into the other parts of the world. Right? Whenever Jesus gave this command, it was The command was that the gospel was to be to the Jew first, then to the Greek. It came to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. Okay? And so at this point, Jesus is commanding these people, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as ye go, preach saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus here is saying, Whenever you go, don't go over here to preach. Go here to preach the gospel. Go preach the kingdom is at hand here to the, what does it say? The lost house of Israel. Okay, so Israel is the quantifier on who they were to go preach to, but specifically the lost sheep of Israel. He was telling them to go preach to those who were the believing people in Israel, among Israel. Because they were to preach to Israel first, and then after Christ's resurrection, the gospel was then spread to every language, tribe, and tongue. But here we see that it's to the lost sheep of Israel. Now, you say, well, wait a minute, Isn't all wasn't all of Israel lost? Well, again, what does the Bible say? Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. If all of Israel, all the people who were Israelites, were part of those sheep, then all of them will be saved. But we know that Jesus just got done saying, in where we was at in John, that there were some that believed and some that didn't believe. Why? Because they were the children of Satan. There were some of Israel who did not believe because they were not Christ's sheep. and Jesus even made it very clear. He said, you believe not because ye are not my sheep. And he was talking to Israelites. So whenever we look at this in the context of the Bible, again, and not by our theologies that are floating around out there from schools of thought, we see that he is talking about, go to those who are believing And to share the gospel with them. Listen, is it wrong for us to talk about the gospel to anybody that's out there? No, it's not. No, it's not. But if there's a person that isn't being receptive of the gospel, then we just continue to go about our way. If God gives them repentance and grants them repentance in due time, hey, some have planted, some have water. It is God that giveth the increase. But brethren, listen. We go and our message of the gospel is for those who have ears to hear. That's why Jesus was saying that all the time. Let he who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. The reason is, is because the only ones that's want to be receptive of that word, the only one that it was intended to be good news for, are for the sheep. Jesus said, going out to the lost sheep of Israel. Look in Matthew chapter 15. Matthew chapter 15. <clears throat> Jesus said, in verse 24, excuse me, let, let's back up to verse 21 and kind of know what, what's going on here. It said, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon, and behold, a woman of Canaan, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not meet to take the children's bread and to cast it to dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now. Did that woman's faith actually heal her daughter? No. He said, "Oh, woman, great is thy faith, but be it unto thee even as thou wilt. Jesus said, I'm going to grant you your desire. Why? Because Jesus had already purposed to do that to begin with. It's not by chance. It's not by accident. And this was not an event that was outside of God's purpose and predestination that Jesus didn't know about, hadn't planned on doing it, it wasn't in his works to do it, and then decided, hey, well, I'll go ahead and do this because her faith was so great, I'm going to change my mind. I will go to those who are outside of the house of Israel. Is that the case? No. What made her the child of Israel? The fact that she had faith, right? She had been given faith. She had not had that faith on her own. She had faith because it had been given to her. Jesus is not doing this as a surprise to him. Oh, wow, great, is your faith. Okay, well, let me give that to you. No, Jesus did this as an illustration, especially to those that were with him and around him, Give an illustration of the reason this is going forth and I'm doing this is because I am sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And this woman by her showing of faith, shows that she is in that number. Like Rahab and all those other Gentiles who in the past were by faith shown to be children of God. That's why Jesus spoke to her. That's why Jesus granted her her request. Not because she requested it, but to show forth his work, and to accomplish that which he had been sent to do. Okay? So we see it was to the lost house of Israel, the lost sheep of Israel. Now whenever I think of that, the reason that Jesus did this, the reason that Jesus is going to keep all those that are given to him, is because, and turn with me to John, back to John again. It's because Jesus, in simple terms, is the good shepherd. See, the reason Jesus is accomplishing this is he's a good shepherd. I'm not a good shepherd. No preacher, no pastor that's ever given, even though God calls these men, gifts these men, they're called to the office to be a pastor, an elder, within the church, deacons that are called to to serve within the church, to serve the church. These men are not infallible. They're fallible men. And they're not good shepherds. Okay? There's only one good shepherd. Look with me, if you would, in John chapter 10, and let's look at verse 7. As Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. That if is not a conditional phrase, it's not a possibility phrase. It's a statement of fact. I am the door. By me, the sheep shall be saved. (coughs) By me, they shall go in and out and find pasture. But the description, the quantifier is if any man enter in or excuse me, the quantifier for that is those who come in by the door. Jesus is the door. All that came before me are thieves and robbers. The sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, shall be saved and shall go in and out. The thief cometh not but to steal and to kill and destroy. I am come That they, who? The sheep that enters in by the door. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming and leaveth the sheep and fleeth and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth, because he is a hireling, and careth not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and know my sheep, and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. So here we see that Jesus is the good shepherd, and he knows his sheep, and his sheep know him. And he is the one that is the door, or the entrance Into the fold, into the flock. They don't come any other way. If they come any other way, what does he say? They are liars and thieves. They are robbers. Okay? They try to get in another way. They don't come in the door. What is Jesus talking about there? Whenever we come into this house, we come in through the door, right? Why? Because this is our house. We come in through the door. But if a thief or a robber is trying to get in, are they going to come through that door? No, they don't have a key to that door. They can't get in. What are they going to do? They're going to try to find a window somewhere. They're going to bust out a window and come in through a window. They're going to find a window that's open and try to come through a window or some other way that they might get into the house. But if the door is open to them, do we open the door to people that we don't know and ask them to come in? No. Whenever the UPS guy comes up here, do I say, Well, come on in, fella. No, I stand at the door and I stay right there and I say, yeah, could I help you? Who are the ones that are let in? Those who are our friends. Those who we know. See, Jesus is saying, I am the door and they that come in by me. Meaning that they have come in because I have opened the door for them. I am the one who has invited them into the house. Into the flock. Into the sheep pen. I'm the one who has opened the door. Nobody's going to get through And if anybody tries to get through, that's a thief and a robber. Because the only way to come through is through the door. You can't get in through the window. You can't get in coming through under the basement and come back up through the stairs. Okay? And he says here, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. But look at verse 16. He says, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold... Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. So we see here at the time his focus was upon national Israel and the lost sheep of that particular group of people. But he said, Other sheep I have that are not of this fold, but them I must I also bring, and once I bring them, They will come in and they will be of this one fold. There is only one fold. There is not two folds. There is not the Jew fold and the Gentile fold. There is only one fold. The thing is, is the sheep that were gathered into a fold began among the Jews. To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So, among the Jews first, there was a fold being made but that fold was incomplete because Jesus had sheep that were not just of Israel, but of every nation, tribe, and tongue. And he says, them I must bring. And I think of those words right there, I must bring. That means Jesus had a mission. Jesus had a purpose. Jesus had a, had a command of God. As he said, I do everything, whatever the Father wills, I've done. It was the Father's will that these people be brought. He said, I must bring them. Again, I go back to what I said earlier. If Jesus must bring them, then who's the one accountable and responsible for the sheep to get in? Not just of the Jew, but of the Gentile. The preaching of the gospel throughout the world. Whose responsibility is that? The Good Shepherd. (coughs) The Good Shepherd. He is the one... That is responsible. And then he says in verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it up again. No man take it from me, but I lay it down of myself, and I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up. This commandment have I received of my Father. It was the it was God's command that Jesus Christ lose nothing but lay down his life, and in laying down his life, secured salvation for his sheep, for them to be brought back. That which was lost will be found. That which was lost will be saved. Will there be any in hell that are lost? No. Why? Because the good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world. The world meaning Who? The world of God's people. The world of God's believers. That He makes believers. The world of God's sheep. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth. There's the quantifier. Jesus was sent for those who would be the believers. Who are the ones who are believers? The ones that the Lord has granted to believe. Right? The only ones who are believers are those who are born of God. Who come to the Father come because of Him. No man cometh to the Father except by Me. No one cometh to the Father. The Father has to drag them. The Bible says, all that the Father uh, has given Me shall come to Me. That's guaranteed. But how do they come? They come because, they said, unless the Father draws them. That word draw means to drag. What's He doing? He's bringing them all in. Pulling them all in. Look, if you would, at Hebrews thirteen twenty, A couple more verses and I think we'll be done. Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 20. It says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the eternal lasting covenant make you perfect in every good work to do his will make you perfect who's making you perfect it's Christ in every good work to do his will working in you working in you not you working out him but him working in you That which is well-pleasing in His sight. Through Christ Jesus to whom be glory forever. He is the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the great shepherd. Look at 1 Peter. Chapter 5 and verse 4. Or starting verse one, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who also, uh, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Talk about Peter; He's a, he was an elder in the church. Writing to other elders here, he says, "And a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed." Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. He's speaking about the elders, those who have been called of God to pastor the churches. He said, feed the flock of God. Whose flock is it? It's not the pastor's flock. It's not the preacher's flock. It's the flock of God. It's Christ's flock. It's his sheep. It's his church. It's not the, it's not the preacher's. It says, Taking the oversight thereof—that doesn't say to be the boss. Taking the oversight means to to be the one who keeps the order. Okay. What happens? What is one of the duties that I have as a pastor? Well, I'm the one who kind of sets the order for how we conduct the services here. We come together and we sing songs and our hymns and we preach. We pray. We fellowship together. We set in order these things. That's kind of what the the uh if there's any discipline that needs to be taken place, the pastor is the one who has the oversight, he's the one who is to govern over these proceedings and, and as they are to be done and the orderliness of them and how they are to be done. But he is no in no way above anybody else in the church, and he is not to lord it over God's heritage, as the Bible says. He's not to keep them by doing anything by constraint or by by as it says here. He's not to do it for money. We're not to be pastors and preachers, boy. I tell you what, that's definitely the opposite of what we see today out there. Everybody out in that world is trying to be a preacher, and they got to go preach and they got to be paid a salary, and they're all about you know, hey, I can be be a preacher over here. That's a lot bigger church, and I'm going to get a bigger salary out of. Listen, I actually know preachers who have told other churches that I can't come preach for you unless you can give me this much money. Now that right there is what Jesus was talking about a minute ago as a hireling. He's working as a wage. He's not working as a servant. He's working as a a laborer for wages. Not out of service for Christ. Not because he was called by Christ. He's coming because of his own desire for what it says here, filthy lucre or money. He says not to lord over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Look here in verse four. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. So here we see that Jesus is the chief shepherd. Who is the one who is responsible and accountable for the sheep? The chief shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd, the door of the sheep. He is responsible. He is leading them in. Look at uh, John chapter 17, finally. Uh, I think this has kind of come completely full circle here whenever we see this. If it doesn't, brethren, surely know that it's my fault and my preparation of anything, which wasn't any preparation, it was just the the Lord put on my heart. <clears throat> John chapter 17. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And I will point out exactly what I intend to look at here in a minute. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven. This is whenever Jesus was praying. Before his crucifixion to the Lord, whenever Jesus went into Gethsemane and was praying, the Bible says that he was so overcome with what was about to take place in Christ uh, being rebuked of God. As Psalm says, he was rebuked of God or uh, whenever God's wrath uh, and judgment was to fall on him because of the sin that he was uh, taking on for his brethren. <clears throat> Jesus, the Bible says, whenever he was praying, he was under such uh, uh 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 such uh, uh state that his the bible says that he sweat as the word great drops of blood um but this is the prayer he says father the hour is come glorify thy son and thy son that thy son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh that he should give eternal life here it is the quantifier to as many as thou hast given him. Who's the only ones who going to have eternal life? Who are going to be saved? Those whom the Father has given Him. And this is life eternal that they might know Thee, the only true God. Who are the ones who are going to know and believe on Jesus Christ? Those who have been given eternal life. Those who have been given Him. It all goes back to those who were given him. It all goes back to that eternal union before the foundation of the world. Salvation has nothing to do with what we do in time, conditioned by any response or any kind of action that we do. It always always goes back to the predestinated purpose of God to glorify his son through the redemption of his people that God chose before the foundation of the world, elected in Christ Jesus and given unto him blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places, and given that beautiful, wonderful gift of union. We are in Christ. Our life is hid in Christ with God. Our life is His life. Our life is Christ. It is all about Christ. And that union, that salvation, that that eternal union, uh, and, and, and everything that was part of that, that was outside of everything that we have done. We weren't even existing at that time, nor was anybody or anything. There was not a molecule of this created earth in existence whenever God did that. So, therefore, salvation is not in the hands of any man. Therefore, those that are lost and those that are saved are all of one because. Those who are lost. Belong to Jesus. And Jesus being the good. Great chief shepherd. Loses none of his sheep. Because it was his. Responsibility. From the father. In his will. To come and redeem. Meaning to be brought back. That's what redeem means. To be brought back. Therefore. None will be lost. Why? Because he was put in charge to go do that. Not the pastor, not the preacher, not the church, not your mama, not your daddy, not your grandpa or grandma or aunt or uncle or best friend. Nobody is put in charge of bringing in the lost except the great shepherd. He says, "...and this is life eternal, that they might know thee the only true God." And Jesus Christ, whom Thou hast sent. Who is the one sent? Christ. He says, I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. I have manifested Thy name unto the men which Thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were... So that means we belong to God. Before we were given to Christ, we belong to God. Okay? We are His. The Bible says that our names were written down, engraved upon His hand, and by type and foreshadow, engraved upon His chest. I have manifested thy name to the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the words which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I have come out from thee, and they have, been, and they have believed that thou didst send me." Now, pay close attention here. I pray for them. Who's he talking about? Those that the Lord has given him, right? Now, in specific context here, in this verse, he's talking about the apostles. The twelve that was given to him. Out of the world to be his disciples. Those first group of men that was given to him there in this ministry. But, by extension, and we'll see this to be true here in just a minute, that includes all his disciples from everywhere. Not just those twelve, but everyone is included in this. He says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world. There was a distinction between them and the world in this case. The world, not meaning the world of the elect but the world of Satan. The world of the reprobate. Those who were outside of Christ, not given to Christ. Everyone who is not given to Christ, Christ doesn't pray for them. And if Christ doesn't pray for them, then you have not been interceded for. If you've not been interceded for, then you have not been mediated. And there's only one mediator between God and man, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. And only by that mediation can man... Come before God. Only by that mediation can any man come in through into the Holy of Holies and approach God. The Bible says that the only way that they can go through the veil and that veil was Christ's body by his death. If Christ did not die for you, you cannot approach unto God. Christ was the mediator on your behalf by dying for your sins and living for your obedience Christ did all that as your mediator and by that death on the cross that allowed you to come through the veil and to approach unto God. No man approaches unto God without being holy. And the only reason that we're holy is because we are in Christ Jesus who is holy. We've been imputed His righteousness. The holiness of Christ is ours because we are in Him not because we act righteous or do obedience to God. And therefore, we only can come to Him if He's mediated for, for us. And if He's mediated for us, all for whom He mediates comes through the veil, comes through the door, as it were, and approaches the God. Why? Because He's the surety. And He goes and makes sure that they're redeemed and brought back to God. He says, I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given Me, for they are Mine. And all are mine, and thine and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to thee, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast... Who's going to be kept? Those whom thou hast given me. The ones who Christ prayed for. What does that tell us there? What does that tell us about Christ's sheep? It tells us that all are going to come to him. All are gonna to come to Him by Jesus Christ, and all that do come by Jesus Christ, they're gonna be kept because the Holy Father is gonna keep them. God is gonna keep them from falling away, from going away. How does He do that? Because He's the great shepherd of the sheep. And once He brings those sheep into the flock and into the fold, they're not gonna wander off anymore. They're not gonna go away. Does that mean that they're perfect? No. Does that mean that they don't sin? No. Does that mean that they don't have other thoughts and in their mind begin to wander away? No. But they're not going anywhere. They're part of the fold. They're never going to be outside the fold. They're never going to be lost. Therefore, if they're not lost, they're found. If they're found, they are His. If they are His, then they are never perished, because the Bible says that I give unto them life and they shall never perish. And he says right here, the Father is going to keep them. How is it that they're going to be kept? By law keeping? As the Judaizers to the Galatian church was preaching? I know that we I know that we are saved by grace and election and predestination and Christ's (coughs) imputation of righteousness to us. But brethren, we have a duty and responsibility to keep these commands that God has given us. Is that what keeps us? Didn't Paul say, have you begun in the Spirit? Or are you now made perfect by the flesh? Are we made perfect by the flesh? Are we continued? No, what was made perfect? We just read it a while ago. Who made us perfect? Christ Jesus made us perfect. How did he make us perfect? By his shed blood. <clears throat> he says, And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world. Keep them through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou hast given me, I have kept, and none of them is lost. None of them is lost. Will there be any lost in hell? No. Well, someone's going to say, well, preacher, you didn't read the rest of that verse. One of them was lost. Well, number one, let me just say this. Are you calling Jesus a liar? Jesus said none would be lost. All would come. Are you saying that there are people that could have been saved, but wasn't saved? Well, if that's the case, then the great shepherd ain't so great. Because the great shepherd brings all his sheep in. He lost something and couldn't retrieve it? He went away as their surety, came back to God empty handed. Brethren, I don't think that to be so. Then they may say, Well, look, preacher, it says right there, Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. Well, this is very simple. I, I, there may be, there may be a more smart answer than what I'm about to give, but to me, I just look at it in a simple way. If he was lost, speaking of Judas, this is who this is talking about, right? Because out of the twelve that God gave Jesus, Judas was the one who was lost. He's talking about Judas. I have kept all those, and none of them is lost. But it says, but the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He says, I have kept them, and none of them is lost. So that means none of them are lost. But what about the son of perdition? What about Judas? Wasn't he lost? No. That's why he used the phrase son of perdition. He's differentiating. Although God gave Judas to Jesus and the twelve, that's why I said in particular whenever Jesus was praying that all that the Father had given him, he prayed for them and not them only, but those that are also of this fold that I must also bring. Those in the world that's outside of those within Israel right now, but there's other flock out, or there's other sheep out there that must be brought into the one flock. Whenever he was praying for all those people, he wasn't praying for Judas because Judas wasn't given to him in the sense that these other men were. He was given to him in the sense that it was God's purpose through Judas to betray Jesus that would lead to his crucifixion. Matter of fact, the Bible pre- God predestinated, but the Bible prophesied that. Back in the Old Testament, prophesied Judas and what his job would be before he ever existed. Judas was the man that God chose to be that. And therefore, that's why Jesus, whenever he prayed this, he said, None have been lost, but the son of perdition was lost. Not lost in the sense that these men... Or lost, My sheep that I'm bringing back to you. But this man, being a son of perdition, that word perdition, you know what that means? What Jesus was calling this man? The word perdition in the Greek there? It means a vessel of destruction. So Jesus was saying, none of them is lost, but the vessel of destruction that the scripture might be fulfilled. Why did Judas... Why was Judas the one that betrayed Jesus? Why? So that the scripture might be fulfilled. So did God just say, well, I wrote the scripture back here about a guy, so Judas, you're going to have to be that guy. Somebody's got to fulfill this, you know, because I said it. If somebody doesn't fulfill it, then I said something wrong. Well, in a sense, that's correct, but let's get it in the order that the scripture... Puts it Because the Bible says known from God are all his works, the end from the beginning. God purposed it from the foundation of the world that Judas would send this sin under condemnation and be the son of perdition, the vessel of destruction. Therefore, that is why in Romans, God has wrote down for us that he has made some vessels for destruction, some vessels not for destruction. Those who are vessels of destruction will carry out the works that God has purposed for them in their being the vessels of dishonor and destruction. That was the condemnation under which Judas was created. Just as in Peter we see that the false teachers and the false preachers of the day were those who God had predestinated before the foundation of the world unto the condemnation of being a false prophet, a false teacher, so that the children of God may be approved. So that the people of God may be approved. It's not by chance it's not by accident it's not by God having two separate wills a, a, a one will and then a, a permissive will it is not God didn't predestinate that that's all part of man's free will or free choice. No it was God's purpose. He was meant to be a lost vessel of destruction. He wasn't meant to be a sheep. So therefore, his being lost is a different lost. Whenever the Bible speaks of being lost and then being found, the only ones that are found are the sheep and all the sheep are found. So therefore, there is no lost person that Christ died for going to be in hell. Because Jesus is the great shepherd. All right, Brown, I think I'll end there. I don't. Anybody have a question or... Have anything that you would like to add or comments? Father, we come once again thanking you for Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Good Shepherd. We thank you, Father, for the salvation that we have in Him. We thank you for the life that we have through Him. Father, we thank you for the Word of God that declares His name. We thank you for the... Victory that is sure. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Father Lord we surely not boast upon anything that we can do. Our accountability, our responsibility Father would always be in the negative. It will always be uh, irresponsibility and unaccountability. Because Father our flesh can do no good. But we look to Christ Jesus. Our surety. We look to Christ Jesus our elder brother, who has promised to come and to bring us back. His blood was shed on our behalf and it was because of that shed blood that we have been made perfect, that we have been uh, given entrance through the veil and acceptance with God. Father, it is not upon our own, not upon our merit, not upon our worth, Not upon our heritage, but only by mercy and grace have we been given these things and we thank you for them. I thank you for these brethren you've gathered here today. We ask, Lord, that you would be with them this week. We pray for others in this town, Lord, sheep that you may have that have not yet been brought. We pray, Lord, that you would bring them in as you're in your time. Lord, we pray, Lord, that you just might add to the number here, not for our boasting, not for our uh, Vainglory Lord but that they might find Refuge uh, That they might find a place To fellowship To be fed of the gospel uh, To enter into the service Of the gospel Lord we thank you so much For this place That you've given us to do that and We ask Lord that you might continue to bless us To keep us in the faith Lord I just pray today That everything that has been said and done has been, by your Spirit, been truth. And anything that is not, Lord, I surely know it is because of my frailty and carnality. I know it's because of my lack of wisdom, not spiritual wisdom, but because of my fleshly wisdom. And so, Lord, I pray that any of that that might have been done today, that you, by your Spirit, might teach your children, that you can teach them where preachers cannot. And so I thank you. That, that also is not dependent upon man. And so, Father, Lord, once again, we give honor and praise to glory, if it be so. And we ask that you bless this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.